In partnership with 2SER, the Walkley Talks podcast presents the latest episode of For the State, a weekly program about the media featuring Australia's leading journalists. Broadcast live each Monday at 6.30pm on 2SER 107.3. Hello, welcome to Fourth Estate for the week beginning June 29, 2015. My name's Lucy Robson. We're live on 2SER Radio and across the community radio network. It's your weekly look at the world of journalism and the media. Tonight, we're going to try and have the last word on the hugely controversial Q&A on the ABC last week. Joining me in the studio, Chris Kenny, Associate Editor and Columnist with the Australian and a familiar face on Sky News. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Lucy. And joining us from Canberra on the phone, Crikey's political correspondent Bernard Keane. Bernard, welcome back to Fourth Estate. G'day. Joining us also on the phone from where he is furiously penning his column for tomorrow's age, Jonathan Holmes. Good evening to you, Jonathan. Good, good evening, Lucy. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at Fourth Estate AU. That's all letters, no numbers. And before we get underway, I'll just mention that you can now find Fourth Estate's weekly podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud, where you'll be able to listen back to this episode and many others. Sounding terribly commercial. <laughs> That's community radio for you, Chris. All right. Um, it's been a huge week in media as the ABC has scrambled to deal with the fallout from an eventful episode of Q&A. Let's go back to what started all of this when audience member Zaki Maller, the first person to be arrested under Australia's terror laws back in 2003, asked what the government's proposed citizenship laws would have meant for him 10 years ago. And when panellist Steve Chiobo, a Liberal Member of Parliament, told Zaki Maller that he ought to be kicked out of the country, Zaki Maller said that in his view, many Australian Muslims would have been so upset by Steve Chiobo's words that that would encourage them to join Islamic State. Here's what one Facebook user had to say in a message shared a few thousand times over the weekend. Zaki got hot in the head and tried to explain that it is precisely that kind of automatic dismissal without adequate facts that feeds the radicalisation of some. He stated this in the positive present tense as an actuality. If he had had media training like everyone else on the panel, he might have stated it in the future conditional and with a qualification. It is statements like the minister has made that could see radicalised young people make the mistake of going to join ISIL. Tony Jones immediately ruled Zaki's comments out of line since it sounded like he might be suggesting young people join ISIL when that was not his meaning. So, has Zaki Maller's comment been widely misinterpreted? Jonathan? Uh, yes, in a word. Um and, and understandably, I think Tony Jones himself uh, misunderstood what uh, Mallor was trying to say. I mean, if you came to it knowing that Mallor has been consistently opposed to Islamic State for a long time, um, it was easier to understand what he was saying. But there's no doubt he didn't, he didn't put what he wanted to say uh, as clearly as he could have done. Um, and that caused a lot of the initial outrage, I think, that people thought he was genuinely saying to people, go and join Islamic State. I don't think he was. I think it's quite clear that he wasn't. Chris, what do you think? Look, I think what Zaki Muller said there amounted to a justification for jihad. Uh, it wasn't quite incitement, but it wasn't short, far short of that. I think you've got to be very careful, and this is something the whole country's got to come to grips with, that uh, whenever you provide justification for the jihadist inspiration, you're actually supporting their propaganda machine. They'll always run out all sorts of grievances that are allegedly inspiring their jihadism, whereas uh, uh, if you know anything about uh, is Islamist extremism, uh, uh, they're not inspired by these grievances. They might uh, they might help create some sort of a breeding ground, but at heart there's an evil philosophy that wants to bring down the Western world and 
and uh, and re-establish uh, an Islamic caliphate with Sharia law across vast areas of the world, if not the entire world. That's their long-term aim. But I don't think this is really the point. I don't think uh, the, the thoughts and wisdom and ideology of Zaki Mullah are the point of this week's controversy. Here we are almost exactly a week later and we're still debating it. What's at heart, what, The issue at heart here is the ABC's choices, the ABC's decision to collude with this man and give him a platform on a national television program for him to launch whatever it is he, he wants to say. Yeah, this but, was a well, mistake by the ABC. And, and, and more than that, it's, it's not just a simple error by the ABC. It's become, it is emblematic of ongoing issues at the at the ABC, the way they handle a very a various array of of, of hot button political issues. Uh, I will get onto that particular point in a second, but Bernard, you've written quite widely about this idea of radicalisation. Um, do you think that Mala's comments were widely misinterpreted, and why? Uh, well, I, well, I think they were misinterpreted to an extent, but it's hard to know what Zaki Mala really means from one moment to the next. If you look at, I mean, for the purposes of tonight, I've uh, for my sins, I waded through his his Twitter feed and watched his videos, and the main impression is that the guy's a, uh, a loudmouth bigot. Um, that's not necessarily to say that he shouldn't be on a program like Q&A. I mean, the whole sort of point of Q&A is to have people with strong opinions and, and uh, uh, offensive and uh, divisive, probably, rather than offensive, uh, opinions on offer. That's the kind of, that's the, kind of the way that that sort of uh, program works. But actually working out what his ideology is from one moment to the next is quite difficult. For I mean, for example, he uh, ha- says he's opposed to Western military intervention in the Middle East, which is a sensible, widely, you know, well, I think it's sensible, but it's certainly widely held view. But he also has urged Tony Abbott to bomb the Assad regime. So it's actually impossible to hold those two views at the same time. But, uh, you know, if Australia is going to be serious about radicalisation or, or at least serious about trying to find out what causes radicalisation... And, I mean, Chris talked about justifications um, for, for radicalisation. There's the issue of justifications. He talked about breeding, you know, the, the idea of, of creating breeding grounds um, for, uh, for radicalisation. Our understanding of all of that is actually very, very limited. The evidence base is poor. Uh, people haven't been studying this for a very long time. What we do know is that the issue of Western military intervention in Middle East countries does crop up regularly. But as for everything else, you know, to what role, you know, what role does the internet play? Well, we don't even know that. We all think that the internet tends to play a, you know, to, to exacerbate the threat of radicalisation. Well, the evidence base, even for that, is quite limited. So the more we understand about radicalisation, you know, the better. Um, Zaki Mallow is a person who has been through this process of radicalisation. He's come out the other end. He's now a, an advocate against the Islamic State. So I would have thought the views of someone like that, however... Um, repugnant they may be and how, you know, however personally annoying or offensive he might be will be quite valuable. But if we actually want to get serious about radicalisation and and understand it, we've actually got to go further and get to grips with people whose views are are far more offensive and far more dangerous than those of Zaki Mallor, i.e. the people who are at the other end of the radicalisation process who are actually at the point that Mallor was 
a decade or so ago. Interestingly enough, though, the ABC didn't have him onto a forum to talk about radicalisation, not that I think Zaki Muller would be uh, terribly illuminating uh, on the subject. Uh, the ABC had him on the program to provide a gotcha moment against the government on citizenship laws. They colluded with him and edited his question and got him into the studio, and it was set up as a gotcha moment well, for the government on national security issues. And the this is the this is radicalisation. Yeah. I mean, how how is that not exactly on point in terms of the impact of something that has really attracted an enormous amount of attention within the political class? This debate about citizenship and and the government's proposals for it, vis-a-vis the impact on radicalisation. I would have thought that was actually a pretty on point issue. And you know, who do we want to hear from on radicalisation? Do we want to hear from people in uniforms and? And, uh, you know, the ambassadors and the sort of people who are gathered at the counter, excuse me, countering violent extremism summit the other week. Or do we actually want to hear from the Islamic community and from people who've been through the process and come out the other end uh, relatively intact, who might be able to offer some way to us of actually countering radicalisation? Well, as I was saying, uh, what went on here was the ABC colluded with Mali uh, to... uh, to, um Provide a gotcha moment on this citizenship oh, question. On. There was no, there was, there, 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 no, no, no. We we, we know that. We, 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 we know we know we know the ABC met with him, looked at his question, edited his question with him, and put him up there. And we we, we saw the question, and we know how it was framed. And it tried to it conflated his personal history of a criminal conviction with the current citizenship uh, uh, laws. Now, that, that, that was a ridiculous conflation and it was set up by the program to provide well, a gotcha moment. That's well, why the ABC's in strife. No is that Jonathan? Yes, oh, Jonathan, no please say a word. Zaki Muller for oh, turning up on it's Q&A. Really it's about the ABC. Look, of course they colluded, as you put it, Chris. This is a produced television program. Every single question that's asked is passed, is, 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 is you know, vetted and approved and Tony calls the name, and they read them out. That's how the program works. There's nothing at all remarkable about that. You say a gotcha moment. I mean, uh, I don't know why it's any more gotcha than, than numerous other occasions when the program has, has certainly engineered, if you like, um, people to be confronted with the consequences of, of, of their positions. And, I mean... What, what emerged from that was Steve Chobo saying, I don't actually care that you were acquitted. I think it was on a technicality. Um, and he didn't seem that interested that Muller has not actually got dual nationality. He said, you should be out of here. I'd be very happy to see you out of the country. Now, that tells us quite a lot about the government's attitude um, you know, to things like uh, jury decisions and so on. Uh, and, and I think uh, it, was, it was quite a valuable thing to learn. I don't think that it was particularly a gotcha moment. Steve Chobo didn't seem particularly disconcerted. He certainly uh, maintained his, his articulateness and his presence of mind, uh, but you might not agree with him. Well, that's what the program's all about. It has since, of course, emerged that Mallow fired off some tweets about two prominent female News Corp journalists earlier this year that could only be described, as Miranda Devine did, as sexually violent. Jonathan, you've said that the Q&A producers didn't know about those tweets and you've raised the question of whether producers of a show like Q&A should be expected to trawl through all of a participant's social media posts as part of the vetting process. So to the panel, should we expect Q&A producers to do that exact thing? Can I quickly say, before yes. I leave others to answer that, that yes, my understanding is they didn't know about it. Uh, there were about 1,500 tweets between June and when that tweet was issued in January. There was quite understandably a minimal publicity given by the two victims, if I can use that word, 
um, uh, uh, about the tweet, um, and certainly it was it was it was a disgusting tweet. And and I think, and I believe that the Q and A uh, people think that had they known about it, he should not have been asked on the program. It would have been a disqualification. It's it's so uh, misogynistic and disgusting. That, that that's my view. But I do think asking them to expecting the team to troll through 1,500 tweets. Uh, uh, in the search for something they didn't even know was necessarily there. I mean, if they'd known it was there, sure. But not knowing whether that any such thing existed is asking an awful lot. Well, we won't know. We've got to take them at their word, as you say, Jonathan, whether they knew about the tweet. If they knew about that particular tweet, then uh, then that would be quite damning. Presumably that's what one of these many inquiries will find out. Presumably they'll have a look at all the uh, email traffic between uh, Zaki Muller and the, and the producers. But uh, I think when you're going to get someone who's a renowned uh, uh, loose cannon, who's a convicted extremist who was charged with uh, terrorism offences, of course, of, uh, of which he was acquitted, but was convicted of threatening to kill government officers. Of, uh, and, and the judgment there found that he was in possession of a firearm and ammunition and, and jihadist material. Uh, the ABC knew they were dealing with this man. That's why they had him on the program. They colluded with him and there was an element of due diligence that was beholden upon them. I don't think they should have put him on air based on those grounds, but because of that background, they should have uh, done some at least some Google searching to find out about his uh, what else he'd said, and of course what there was he very did. little in Google about it, mate. There was almost because I, I did that uh, search myself on the, the Tuesday morning. There was nothing. Yeah, well, there's certainly a lot know, about it, him now, so it's pointless yeah, to go back course, and check because, that now. I don't know what, what would have happened and, if you uh, Googled him previously, but certainly those uh, those columnists, columnists were aware of it. They only started talking about it after the Q and A row blew up, and then of course it's all over. Google. Understandably, yeah, yeah, understandably. And look, if you look at this guy's defence since then about those tweets. He says, well, I didn't actually advocate sexual violence. Oh, that's, so that, that's a oh, question. Well, hang on, hang on. A that's now a big question mark over that. But if you actually look at the video in which he does that, his justification for the, or his explanation of that tweet is profoundly offensive in and of itself. I mean, yep. he basically ends up with saying that uh, sex workers... Uh, can't be raped. I mean, this is, a, this is a guy with an extraordinarily misogynistic worldview. And it comes back to, I, I think, to this issue that Q&A thrives on having these divisive kind of personalities uh, on there to generate uh, interest and excitement. And, for, you know, for, as, a, as a live TV model, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a good idea, maybe it isn't. Um, but in terms of advancing the quality of public debate, I'm not convinced that it actually but here's played well, a particularly good role he, um, at all. Here's the interesting point, uh, I reckon, because uh, we're on a unity ticket here, I sense. Uh, Jonathan, Bernard, Lucy and myself would all agree that if we knew about this bloke's violently misogynistic tweets, that he would been, he'd been threatening basically to have women he disagreed with publicly gangbanged, we all say that the, if the ABC knew about that, they should not have him on the program. Yet some of you are saying, knowing that he had adhered to jihadist ideology and been convicted of threatening to kill people uh, because of a jihadist motivation, that's okay to have him on the well, program. Can I, come to I, that? Say, I say they both disqualify him from being given a national platform. Can I come to that, Lucy? Yes, you can. If, if you look at the, the judge's um, sentencing remarks uh, in 2005... Um, it, they're really quite interesting. I mean, what, what Justice James Wood said is um, the jury found that these threats were not uh, 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 serious. They, he did not have a genuine intention to murder anyone. If they had found that he did, they would have convicted him on the terrorist charges. And, and so we can, and, and he himself, the judge, said, 
I also conclude that he had, although he may have had occasional fantasies of that kind, he had no serious real world. Yes, Jonathan, the, you, Jonathan, you'll no, know no, the phrase. You'll know the he specific the phrase. Threat. It was something was about in his more lucid moments, uh, he would have uh, not had the real intent. But uh, we've also been in this country. Uh, we've been through the uh, the, the uh, Martin Place siege and dealing with a bloke with yeah. a. This sort of background where, uh, of course, uh, the, 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 there's an element of the nutter involved, there's an element of publicity seeking, and uh, we've all been horrified how it turned out. So uh, I think that background but, but makes us even more wary Chris, of someone like uh, of, um, Zaki Muller. But what you're arguing is that that, that, that conviction basically rules him out um, for, for his lifetime from any serious discussion of anything. And I, I just don't accept that that's the case. No, I say it rules him out from being presented on Q&A, being a plat given a platform and a pre-planned question where they work with him to try and set up the oh, government well, on the national security issue. I just think it's completely beyond well, the pale. I mean, do, do, and what's, you come, you're what, back onto this collusion issue, Chris. And, you know, I well, I think it's an, import, have, it's an, import, it's an important point, Bernard. about radicalisation in Australia, then unfortunately we're stuck with having to hear the views of the Zaki Mallers yeah, of I the wanna... world, and we're stuck with hearing the views of people much, much worse than Zaki Maller, people who may even want to um, engage in violence. And, you know, if we, if we can't actually hear those views, then we're certainly not going to be able to work out how to deal with them. Well, we ended um, up hearing his views, Bernard. The point about collusion is that initial question that we heard uh, Zaki Maller utter in the Q&A audience, um, who wrote that? You don't know whether they, that, that is Zaki Muller's question. But the question we, was we know completely it was on point for a person who was in Muller's situation. But, but we don't and know. We don't know. To, we don't even know if that's his view. About we don't know. The citizenship changes but this is why the, the point of collusion is important. He worked that question up with the producers, so we don't know how much of that question was his and how much belonged to the Q&A well, producers. Well, as Jonathan said, that's the process with pretty much every question. I mean, Well, I think that's illuminating for everybody because I think the public view is that... Some sort of dramatic conspiracy theory... When the output was actually a, I thought, a actually pretty meaningful exchange in terms of reflecting the government's views and the views of this, uh, this loudmouth um, uh, character who, uh, you know, in retrospect, I think shouldn't have been on the program, mainly because of the fact that, uh, you know, he's such a deliberately divisive and offensive personality. All right. We're going to move on to Malcolm Turnbull's interview on ABC Insiders yesterday. Uh, he said that by inviting Zaki Mallet into the ABC studios, they'd put their audience at risk of physical security threat. His words, it's a very high profile target. This is a fellow that has threatened violence in the past. He's served, he's served his term of imprisonment and he hasn't committed another offence. But that doesn't mean that you would then consciously and willingly put that person in a very high profile environment on a live television program. Is Malcolm getting carried away there or maybe the security of a building like the ABC headquarters is worth reviewing in this conversation? Chris? Oh, look, I think it's definitely an issue, and some people will uh, will, will state it uh, higher up the list of priorities than others, but I think uh, uh, Malcolm Turnbull wasn't the first person to raise this issue. Another, a number of people have, have suggested that and questioned the amount of security. I think they uh, reserve the right to search your bag when you go on to Q&A. Uh, look, there was an incident where someone threw a shoe at uh, John Howard when he was on Q&A. You would expect them uh, to have decent security anyway. Uh, as you know, I, I don't think Zaki Muller should have been in the audience anyway but of course if you're going to have someone with his extremist background on the program you would expect some extra security precautions at the very least a decent search of him but we don't know whether or not that occurred well Mal Mallow said that uh, he was actually on SBS on Insight uh, a couple of mm -hmm. years ago I know Insight isn't exactly uh, doesn't, doesn't quite rate 
as highly as Q&A, but um, it's funny that that seemed to pass without incident, but then, you know, I suppose maybe he didn't pull up his hand and ask a, uh, a question of the kind that, uh, that was asked the other night. But, you know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of security theatre, and I'm not convinced that uh, more and more metal detectors in more and more public places are actually going to contribute uh, to our safety. And if the ABC's got basic security precautions in place... Uh, and I don't actually know whether they have those basic security precautions in place. Maybe Chris knows more about it than I do. But um, Well, I've only uh, been on Q&A as a guest, and they didn't search me then. Yeah, but yeah, uh, um, but I, I do recall last year a lot of uh, university protesters, maybe from this very fine institution here, managed to unfurl a banner and take over the program at one stage. But Chris, I mean, really, uh, the, 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 this is such a beat-up. This man uh, has... W- the, the original offence was created because he got very cross because they wouldn't give him a passport. They wouldn't give him a passport, presumably because they considered in 19, 2002 that he was a security risk. After he got out of prison, sometime between then and 2011, I'm not sure when at this stage, uh, he was given a passport. And he went off to Syria. And he actually reported from the front line with the Syrian Free, free Syrian Army. Now, why was he given a passport if he's such a terrible security risk? What is ASIO doing? Is anyone inquiring into that? You know, why was, why was the ABC on the three other occasions that he's had him in the audience not warned by ASIO, who presumably, if he's such a dangerous person, have got him under surveillance, um, not, didn't, didn't they warn him that they've got this terrible person in there and he's a threat to everybody in the studio and he might assassinate somebody? No, they didn't. He's not, no one was warned on SBS, as Bernard said. No one was born on Channel 10 when he was on live there. I mean, this is absolute furphy. The guy is not a danger, and if he is, he shouldn't be allowed to be running around the way he is. All right, you're listening to Fourth Estate with me, Lucy Robson, and my guests are Chris Kenny, Jonathan Holmes, and Bernard Keane. In 2010, former PM John Howard went on Q&A where he was questioned by former Guantanamo Bay detainee David Hicks of his government's treatment of Hicks. Howard defended that treatment but also had to say, isn't it a great country that allows this kind of exchange to occur? This is not the sort of exchange that would occur in other countries and in dictatorships and it ought to make all of us, whatever our views are about my government's policies concerning Mr Hicks, it ought to make make all of us very proud that we live in a country that allows that sort of exchange. So what does a comment like that say about the Abbott government's response to last week's Q&A? Bernard? Well, I look, I, my understanding is David Hicks wasn't in the audience when, when, when he made that question. That was a pre-recorded question. I'm happy to be corrected on that, but uh, um, I think that you know that's, that's, there's, a, there's a distinction, certainly a big distinction between that and, uh, and what happened last week. Look, I mean, what the, what the government has done quite deliberately and with the aid of, and support of, uh, of News Corporation is <laughs> use this as a very, very weak... News Corporation? Well, you're, you're, you think I'm, react, a, I'm, yeah, react, I'm reacting to a memo, am I, Bernard? To use a very weak <laughs> hook to hang... A, uh, to hang a culture war on uh, uh, against the ABC. On, I mean, quite astonishing what Malcolm Turnbull has done. Just understand this: when Richard Alston launched his jihad against the ABC about its coverage of the Iraq War in 2003, Alston himself and his office put together a massive pile of complaints, most of which ended up getting dismissed. But that's another story. 68 different complaints about breaches of the ABC's editorial guidelines about by the ABC in its coverage of the Iraq War. What Malcolm Turnbull's doing is he's doing nothing of that sort. He's actually getting bureaucrats to undertake the attack on the ABC, not his own office. This is a complete. I don't think you get. To, I, I don't think you get too many people and, uh, who would suggest that Malcolm is Turnbull is antipathetic to the ABC. Judgment. I don't think. I don't think too many people. His actual inquiry. The terms of reference under his actual inquiry 
very clearly say that this is about an investigation of the ABC's editorial judgment. It is an unprecedented attack on the ABC's editorial independence, quite clearly. It's a long overdue attempt to find out whether there's anybody actually exercising the role of uh, editor-in-chief at the ABC. And the reason this issue has struck such a chord with the public, the reason so many people are so exercised about it, is it's emblematic of the ABC's political positioning on a range of hot-button issues. Yes, national security plane, National security is one of them. Asylum seekers and border protection is another. Climate that's change, not what the gay marriage. Look at, Chris. I mean, and no, 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 I'm trying to talk... I'm, I'm explaining why I'm explaining people, I'm explaining though. why this issue is of such import to people, and yeah, but um, it's not going to be solved is, by this inquiry. I mean, no, no, it's not. But the, right. the, this inquiry is going to go specifically into this incident and find out what went on. But, can but I just, this issue is very important because it gets to the culture at the ABC and the need for a diversity of views and some ob- objective, mainstream coverage, which is required of it by law. Well, that, that, that's. That's fine, and, and, and I know that that is a, a continual complaint from, from the right. And, well, and look, it's I, a particular complaint from the public. Well, well you from some that. of the Where's public, you know, I mean, I mean, not, let's be specific about that, from, from some of the public, but anyway, I mean, on the whole, the ABC, and I mean, I'm sorry to trot this out, because I know it's always trotted out on these occasions, but, but, you know, the only evidence we have is polls by news poll, among others, reliable, you know, news poll, that, that the ABC is more trusted um, by more people uh, uh, than, than any other news organisation. Now, you know, take it or leave it. So it's not the case that you know, the whole of Australia is up in arms about the ABC. A section of, of, of Australia feels unrepresented of the ABC. I, I think that's an issue I think the ABC should take seriously. And, and I think that I can understand why people like yourself don't think it takes it seriously enough. I mean, I actually do think that's an issue. Um, but, but I think what, what is going on here where a, a departmental inquiry is going in to make, ask very specific questions about a very specific editorial issue is, is alarming and unprecedented. I do also, by the way, though, Chris, think that I can absolutely understand why the government is baffled that the ABC uh, admits that it made an error in judgment. Uh, I don't happen to think I agree with that, but anyway, they did. They admitted that out loud, and then they run the program you know, two days later um, w- without any kind of warning or, or, or editing or anything. I find that very odd. I have well, to it's say. not like you couldn't have seen the, uh, the exchange plastered all, all over every internet news site in Australia. So I'm not That's quite true, sure but what... still, you know, symbolically, it, 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 doesn't, it, 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 it makes them look odd, I have to say, you know, symbolically. But you're right, Bernard. Of course, of course anyone who wanted to see what happened would have seen it, but... Sorry, I've banged on a long time. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I wish we had longer to talk about this, but I'll just take one final point from all of our guests. Uh, Chris, is the independence of the ABC under attack? No, well, this is one of the most alarming things about this whole episode is the ridiculous canards that uh, Mark Scott put out about uh, in running a defence. Instead of addressing this specific issue here, whereas if you listen to Jonathan and Bernard, if you, if you want to run the defence of the ABC, you can run some sort of a rational line. Mark Scott went into this hysterical speech about freedom of speech, which is which is not an issue here. It's got nothing to do with freedom of speech. It's about the ABC's responsibilities and judgments in putting giving someone a national platform, and this silly argument about the independence of the ABC. The you know comparing the ABC to the the the, the state broadcaster in North Korea for crying out loud. This just shows that Mark Scott's not really interested in these issues of editorial judgment. He spent his whole time as managing director of the ABC. 
ABC increasing its footprint and digitalising the network, fine, that's his priority. But there is an increasing sense that on episodes of uh, editorial misjudgment, whether it's accusing our Navy sailors of, a, of, a, of torturing asylum seekers or colluding with animal rights activists to stop a live cattle uh, uh, export uh, trade, um, that there's just, a, there's just no editor-in-chief. Editor no one is actually taking that editorial role, and somebody has to in the end. And if you have an organisation where it's just run by the staff, you'll get everybody running off and doing their own thing without any accountability. Okay. Um, well, you know, an editor-in-chief, I don't know what, what, what your idea of that is. Is it somebody who sees everything before it goes to air? I mean, that's clearly... No, 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 no. It's it's somebody who ensures there's editorial accountability throughout an organisation. And of course, you you would uh, an organisation the size of the ABC. A lot of that would have to be filtered down. But as you know, Jonathan, authority needs to come from the top. It doesn't filter up from the bottom. Uh, One last point from you, Bernard. Um, look, I've I got to say, I actually agree with Chris that this is not a free speech issue. Uh, getting access to a particular platform, nationwide platform, not a free speech issue. It's actually about the, the, the way the ABC is run quite correctly. Um, but yes, the ABC's independence is under attack. The coalition attacked the ABC's independence when it was in government in the Howard years. It stacked the board with, uh, with far-right wingers. Uh, it, uh, it launched a, a savage campaign on its coverage of the Iraq war, which turned out to be, of course, the main problem the ABC's Iraq war coverage was it wasn't sceptical enough rather than being too sceptical. And now the whole thing's being replayed over again, except uh, compared to Richard Alston, uh, Malcolm Turnbull has gone way beyond um, uh, where the Howard government went and we're into, we're into uncharted waters. Big thank you to our guests, Chris Kenny, Bernard Keane from Crikey and Jonathan Holmes. Pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of 2SCR's Fourth Estate. Fourth Estate can be heard live each Monday at 6.30pm on 2SCR 107.3 and at 2SCR.com. Check out the program description for links to follow 2SCR and Fourth Estate. You can subscribe to Walkley Talks on iTunes and follow the Walkleys on Twitter and Facebook to be the first to know about upcoming Walkleys news and events.